hello. You're listening to Sisters Assembled, a Marvel Theory podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Katie. And we're two sisters who spend way too much time talking and thinking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And now we want to share our thoughts with you. Every week we're breaking down a new topic relating to the MCU, from reactions to the Disney Plus shows and the movies, to deep dives on characters and important concepts, plus news and a lot of theories. Well, listeners, we are now almost done with Secret Invasion. And I have to say, episode five, it did not pause. It hit you from every angle. I liked how all of the different storylines and plot lines are starting to come together. I think I can actually see for the first time a true ending to this show and how they're going to actually wrap it up in one episode. And I think it's time to get into it because I have a lot to say. And I know for a fact, like always, Katie does too. So let's get into it. What? I have a lot to say. I've never heard about that. (laughs) No, you're so quiet and shy. I don't even... I know. You just carry the podcast, don't you? I mean, like, do you even conversate with anyone? Like, I don't know. Most of the time, I feel like I'm talking to myself. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to fix that. You really are. I'm going to need you to pull your weight, buddy. All right. All right. I'll start today. (laughs) No, we all know we're not being serious by any means. (laughs) I have to agree with the biggest point, I think, in my opinion, that you just made, and I can actually see an ending. Yeah. I definitely didn't go into this episode, and I think I was very verbal about that last episode. I was verbal about that on the blog post as well, and now I feel a lot more confident, but I have to say I wouldn't have felt that way if we didn't go the direction we did with Gravik's character. I agree. And so I think that should be really the first thing I want us to touch on. Because if Gravik wasn't so volatile, I genuinely don't know if I would say that Fury would be able to, you know, accomplish beating him. Yeah, I think when we saw Gravik for the first time in this show, and really up until last episode when he killed Talos, I think he's been very methodical. He's been very strategic, always a step ahead of Fury. He had his plan and he was executing. But I think recently, and again, starting with that murder of Talos, I think he's obviously losing it a little bit. And it's it's less now about the strategic aims or what he said the strategic aims were and getting a home for the Skrull people and more about his own personal vendetta against Nick Fury. And so I think his unraveling, like you kind of hinted to, is obviously going to be his undoing. But prior to that, When he was being so strategic and methodical, he really could have beat Fury. I truly believe that. I mean, the graphic that we saw for three and a half episodes was virtually unstoppable just in his execution of a really well thought out plan. And so I like that they took this route. I was actually really shocked by it. I wasn't shocked by his kind of like the power going to his head a little bit mixed with his personal vendetta. I think that wasn't what surprised me. But what I did enjoy, and I know we'll get into this a little bit later, is the way the scroll people reacted to that. And that's all I'll say about that for now, because I know we're going to get into that. But I really, I agree. I think taking that direction with Gravik's character allowed there to be a nice ending to this show without it feeling rushed. Like I think we've seen some of the other shows be, and I know we've talked about that in the past, so I won't belabor that point. But I think this time it's been really well paced and they allowed a story to unfold, begin, 
have a middle and then have an end in six episodes versus trying to cram something that could have been seven or eight into six. Yeah, I really agree with that. And I think it happened really naturally. And I think that's what I enjoy a lot too, because I mean, what was it? Episode one, possibly already. We were like, Gravik's kind of psychotic. Yeah. He definitely isn't a far step off of the rails. That is for sure. But I think it's a very natural progression to see how he is falling behind even though he's ahead. Mm -hmm. And he knew he was ahead the whole time. But it's every little setback that shouldn't have shaken him the way it did. But because it was Nick's doing, it just really... I don't even know how to say that. It just really shook something loose in him, I think. And quite frankly, I wouldn't be against putting out the theory too that undergoing these experiments, he was the first to our knowledge that made it successful to be a super scroll. Before him, to our knowledge, other test subjects had been killed in the process. So I wouldn't be entirely shocked if that's not somewhat messing with his head as well. Not to mention... I mean, he's still in the process of seemingly increasing that power. And that's something I actually, I talked about in the blog was, I don't think he has all four of them. I think he's working himself up to all four of them. Interesting. And he had to do like almost rest periods in between. But I mean, if this is only two and look at how ruthless he already is and, and it's, you know what? Actually, it reminds me a lot of the super soldier serum. Yeah. It's going to make bad traits worse and it's going to make good traits better. And that's what I'm kind of getting out of this is that what is going on, he was already, you know, he could have walked an edge. But I think adding on this power and not even just one, but two of them, and he might be on the road to going to the third one. I just think it is accentuating his worst traits and it's showing yeah i like what you're saying about the idea of it being a parallel to a super soldier serum because we already saw the effects of the extremis right like even pepper she's so cool calm and collected pepper pots put together she's got it but when she had the extremis she almost literally ripped tony in half and You know, I think if it can take someone who is normally so level headed and really not not having a personal vendetta against a specific person now take someone who is probably a little bit. Well, one has a lot of trauma, right? Probably a little bit unhinged to begin with just from everything that he's been through in his life, not to, you know, justify his actions. But I do want to say that's probably adding to it. Then he has a very specific personal vendetta against Nick Fury. And now you're adding on this element that while it heals you, probably turns up the dial on aggression. And that's not really a recipe for success if you're Gravik. And I think what's interesting about that is like I mentioned how in the first few episodes, he really is very methodical. But I think it's interesting that we don't see him with the powers, especially the extremists until what was it? Episode three when he meets with Talos so I'm wondering if like all right he gets it in three we don't start to see it really have effects until that fourth episode when he's like all right let's go kill the president and if I can't kill the president I'm gonna take Talos down instead yeah I think we are seeing within four and now five his downward progression and quite honestly I want to kind of bridge what you were just talking about with Uh, Some of his drive is because of Nick and to take down Nick, but I believe it's Pagan, and I want to say, I want to make sure I'm saying that right. 
that's his right-hand man, and we'll talk about the fate of him in a hot sec, but he is the one who points out, you have had the chance to kill Nick Fury multiple times, and you have not called or tried to take that shot. And I think, at the end of the day, in the weirdest way, he is trying so desperately to prove to Nick that he could do what Nick couldn't do, that he doesn't want him dead yet. He wants to prove to him that he can do everything he's saying. And quite frankly, episodes one and two, I would have been like, yeah, you know, graphic, you can. You have outdone the old man at this point. You've proven that you are a better spy, that you're better at every, at essentially everything else. You've taken the lessons that he taught you and you're implementing them, and you're outdoing your mentor, essentially. you The student has now become the teacher. And now, and I like how you're saying with extremists, I think that's a really good one too, because I'm not so sure, I mean, the Groot species is sort of docile. I mean, obviously he acts as an Avenger, or no, he's not an Avenger, as a Guardian, and he obviously uses his abilities to fight. But on his day to day, I mean, we all we all know Groot, you know, <laughs> <laughs> not exactly killer instincts in that one. No, I mean, even when he is killing, he's not always. I mean, newer Groot, maybe older Groot. He he's kind of just there for the fight. He's not really <laughs> logically thinking through the fight. So I wouldn't necessarily add that as the aggressive part. But I definitely I like your point with Extremis. I do think I mean. Who is that Killian who creates it? I yeah. mean, look at him. He goes off the rails. So I agree. I think there's a lot of factors at play. I'm intrigued because as we've been saying, this would this downfall would not have been possible if this hadn't happened. Yeah, I mean, he really is his own downfall, right? In the sense that, you know, he felt like he had to be stronger because he thought that Nick had all these Avengers in his pocket. And, oh, man, are we going to have a segment for you guys on that one? Don't you worry. Oh, yes, we are. (laughs) But he thought, you know, that Nick had all these Avengers at his beck and call who he could bring in. And realistically, like, he does. You know, he wants to handle this one on his own, but that's a choice not a need. Correct. And so Gravik was trying to head off a threat that had not yet materialized and in doing so ruined his own dang plan. He played himself. Let's just summarize Gravik in one sentence. Gravik played himself. And I think it's time to dive into how that happens and how it's depicted in the show because I was so proud of the scroll people. So was I. In this show or in this, sorry, in this episode, you know, having them realize like, dude, you have gone beyond. Like, I think for a lot of them, you know, the idea of a new scrollless or really taking over Earth, like they have been displaced for close to 30 years, somewhere in the ballpark of 30 years. Like, I get it. You're a little frustrated. But I think the moment when they realized, oh my gosh, this dude is nuts. And also like, he was going to kill his own people. Like, he never... I guess my question is like, I'm I'm literally having a conversation with myself in my head, but like my question is, did he ever really care about the scroll people or was that just a means to power? And I love that we're asking this question because I think I want to say roughly episode one or two of us would love to have this conversation. Yeah. Because did we not talk about the difference too between him and Gaia was Gaia loves her people. Mm -hmm. And she was a part of the whole 
revolution for the people, not because she was trying to take out humans. She was trying to help her scroll citizens that have come down to Earth and have been refugees and are grasping to keep their culture. I mean, there was a great example in this episode of how she didn't even know the funeral prayer. That scene was so beautiful. It was. I mean, what a wonderful depiction of like the loss of culture as people are displaced. Exactly. You know, I thought that was such a moving scene. I was I was really impressed by that and I thought that was awesome. I did too. And that but that's a great example of showing to your point what you just said how when people are displaced they can't always keep parts of their culture as alive as I think they wish to. And so that is what Gaia was always going for, helping her people, letting them be themselves instead of having to be a shell all the time. But I think the difference is, and we knew the difference, Gravik, he wanted almost payback yeah. for the fact that his people were in hiding. And I think he has sent, I think he started with the idea of, you know, getting his people to allow to be allowed to live their own lives. I think it started in the right spot, but he let the revenge, the anger and everything else eat him up to the point where, I mean, my God, he's literally creating a, like super scrolls and he was sacrificing his own people to be the scientific lab rats. Like that's not somebody who's a leader and somebody who's truly trying to help his people well and then he took that you know one step further and went from let me just take a few of you as lab rats to i'm gonna bomb the whole lot of you and you're gonna almost thank me for it like when he says that line about you know we're gonna do what we always talked about and make the sacrifice i just thought to myself well then who are you really saving if you've killed all of your people, these are not your operatives. These are civilians, for lack of better term. These are the people who don't leave the compound. They just want to live as themselves without a shell, and you're going to kill them. So then who do you think you're saving? Because he's not saving anyone anymore. Well, right. He's so far in his revenge plot that he doesn't care. He just wants the humans to know that not only had they infiltrated them to the highest levels of some of their governments, but that he has the power to destroy them. Yeah. And I think that is insane. But that's what makes him such an interesting villain at this point. Because not only did he have the background with Nick and a lot of the trauma that I think any good villain would have to create a villain origin. <laughs> but we saw him start essentially very normal. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he wanted World War Three, and we've always known that was going to be his play. But, and as humans, you know, I'd rather not. But, <laughs> you know, he was doing it for his people. As that has gotten twisted, that no longer is what it is. And that's why when he was even saying, you know, we're going to tell them exactly where we are and we're going to let the U.S. president make the call to bomb us on Russian soil and World War Three. That's great. You won't be there. I know you won't be there. Oh, no. But all your people are. Yeah. And so it definitely, I was pretty shocked by that. I got to say, I wasn't as shocked as the moment he killed Pagan. Yeah. I mean, I was impressed with his willingness to stand up to Gravik, but I think what's interesting about that is that he thought he was talking to the Gravik of two episodes ago. Right. The Gravik who listened to reason, the Gravik who would hear that argument and think, oh, no, you're right. I haven't actually taken the headshot at Nick Fury, even though I've had 
the opportunity. He's so far beyond what his real goal is. And he didn't like being challenged, one, but he also didn't like, I think, what that did was, what Pagan calling him out did was, show him how far he truly has gotten. And I don't think he liked that. I don't think he liked being shown, oh man, maybe I'm not as clear-headed as I should be. And so he was like, you know what? I'm just going to eliminate the guy who holds the mirror up to me and makes me feel bad about myself. And then he just stabbed him with his arm. Yeah, that was definitely the moment for me. I think there were two gaspy moments in this episode on my end. And that was one of them. I genuinely, I was sitting there and I just really quick did a, (gasps) because I didn't expect it. And then I was like, no, wait, he didn't kill him. But then I looked and realized he was impaled. Yeah, (laughs) he was. In fact, I just kind of thought he went through his shoulder or something. So did I. Yeah, it kind of looked like that when he twisted. Yes, exactly. And then at the same time, I looked and I was like, oh, that's his left side. So if he's going to go for the shoulder, he has to be real careful. There's because, you know, assuming that scrolls have a similar anatomy to human humans, there's a particular organ on that side in the chest area that if you pierce that, it doesn't really work so good. Yeah, it was when I realized that that it really struck me that he had lost it. Yeah. And then I want to get into, because you, you kind of mentioned it, so let's get to the point. The scroll people were done with this. Oh, yeah. I think, for one, they probably had friends that went missing because Gravik was not transparent at all about what he was doing and trying to create the super scrolls. Not to mention... He also was killing his own operatives. Like if they were compromised in the field, he was taking them out into the woods and shooting them. So it wasn't just the experiments. It was quote unquote compromised people who he felt didn't protect him and was like, you're gone now. And I'm sure they, to your point, had loved ones, had friends who were like, where'd he go? And it's a little too convenient that they're all killed in the field, don't you think? Yeah, and I, to my knowledge, he's not giving much of an explanation to people. Yeah. Keep in mind, in episode four, Pagan asks where Gaia is. He never even told him that she was their mole and that, she, that to his knowledge, and well, so far, still to his knowledge, that she's dead. Never even mentioned that to who was supposed to be his right-hand man. I think Looking back, and maybe this is a hindsight bias a little bit, but looking back at that scene, it kind of foreshadows what you see in this scene because he's already starting to cut somebody who was aware of everything, who knew everything he was doing out of his circle, which was leaving him with a circle of one at that point because he no longer even seemed to want to share the information with his right-hand man. Yeah, he essentially was starting to become a one-man band. And if you're fighting a war, that's kind of hard to do. Just saying. But not when he has the ego of himself thinking, well, I'm a super scroll. And it doesn't help that when the scrolls do rise up, which I don't know how much they know. And I think that's why they went for the initial attack for some of them. I mean, obviously, a lot of the operatives saw he at least had the Groot arms. Yeah. As far as extremis, I'm not sure how much of that they truly knew. And, you know, I give them the credit. But as soon as he hit him with the hammer, I was like, this isn't ending well for you guys. I had hope. I really did because I thought, you know, what would be it would be so cool almost if they killed him and like that would be something completely unexpected, you know, and I wasn't sure where I thought it was going to go from there because obviously the fight scene only lasted a minute or two. So I didn't really get to form a full theory, but 
I really wanted them to win. I think partially too because I really like that scroll who kind of initiated. We saw him in the first episode, right? Exactly. I think for me, I always associate him with Gaia and Gaia's kindness. And so to me, he's kind of been like a almost like a silent moral compass a little bit. Like you could see his apprehension doing some of the operative work, even in past episodes, and especially today, the way he just stood and watched Gravik after he killed Pagan. I was like, this guy knows. And then the way he went up to him to talk to him, it was very interesting that he kind of, I don't know that he volunteered because obviously that's not on the you know part of the scene, but I would imagine that he almost volunteered then to be the person who's going to kind of be the, I don't even know what you would call it, the bait, I guess, to get Gravik to kind of engage with them so they could make the attack. And I really, really wanted them to win. Oh, don't get me wrong. I wanted them to definitely win. I just knew him being a super scroll of not one, but two, and maybe even a third working its way, starting to get ready in its vein in his veins. I just knew the chances were not high. And he, so far, as I said, is the only successful super scroll besides Gaia. I don't know if he's decided to make any others because he quite frankly didn't want anyone to be able to challenge him. Yeah, no, that's a good point because now that he's kind of decided to A, kill his own people and B, that like it's not going to be necessarily an all-out war between the scrolls and the humans, really. Like he thinks he's bested Nick, right? So he's not worried about Nick calling in the Avengers because realistically, if Nick was going to call the Avengers, he would have called them by now. So I think that threat has almost minimized a little bit. So Gravik's kind of like, why would I make my own competition? Let me just be the strongest man around. Yeah, and I definitely think, especially with Extremis and starting, to me, starting with probably the most volatile option, I think that coursing through your veins immediately makes you not want more threats around. And so as of right now, where he stands, Gaia, quite frankly, is the only one who has a chance putting up a fight against him because as much as I had hope for these scrolls and for and I I wish I was remembering his name but I don't remember his name the one you were talking about we see him in the first episode and I know he even says his name in the first episode and I'm not remembering it as much as I had hope for him and all the other scrolls who rose up you know clearly that didn't work out <laughs> um and I've, and I just, you know, like I said, I figured it wouldn't. Unfortunately, they are not equipped to fight him. I mean, come on. That's like anybody taking on Captain America. Yeah. Like Chris Evans, Captain America, super soldier version. Like, I'm sorry, but he took out how many operatives in an elevator yeah. in Winter Soldier? It's just, it's not a fair fight, no matter what. No, even with the element of surprise, four or five on one, you're just not going to be able to do it. I'm glad you brought up Winter Soldier, though, because there were some serious Winter Soldier callbacks. Oh, yeah. And also some Black Widow callbacks. So oh, I definitely yeah. want to talk about some of those Easter eggs in this episode. I was parting. I know. I, all I could think about was, wow, Kate must be like so happy because there's so much of this espionage world living right now. I was so happy. I mean, listen, not only did I expect Winter Soldier stuff, but they have done an impeccable job. Uh, tying this into the Black Widow movie. Totally. And this is, I think, honestly, one of the only works maybe besides Hawkeye a little bit, but that's mainly because of Yelena. Right. So let's be real with that. But this is probably one of the only works since that movie came out that actually references 
things that was that like happened and I couldn't have been happier I thought it was so well done and I think this is the type of work that deserves to do it I mean I wouldn't expect the Marvels to be out here referencing something Black Widow did quite frankly half of them didn't know who Natasha was so yes it was awesome there were I think three main ones yeah i'm counting three in my head so let's list them out okay the first one i'm not going necessarily in order i'm just going off the top of my head the first one that i can think of and the one that i probably got most excited about was nat's contact being the one who secured fury the plane yes and the passport i was so so excited to see him again i loved his character in black widow he's hilarious So it was cool to see how much business that former S.H.I.E.L.D. agents give him. But it was also a really nice tie back to that show and or not sorry, that movie. Yes. And, um, you know, acknowledging that it exists because, you know, we've gone on about this a million times. But with it being out of order, there's really nothing that can be done. You know, it's it's soft retconning stuff in the sense that it's like adding stuff to a blank spot in history. But there was stuff after it that probably could have referenced it that didn't because it came out release order first. And so it was cool to have for once, to your point, like a a full on callback reference Easter egg to that particular movie. I think that personally for me was what had me most excited. Yeah. Because I think that was the most obvious one. I also, and I'm sorry, I also am blanking on his name as well. But he, I remember a lot of people kind of just being like, who is this dude? He just shows up for this movie. He's helping her out with all this stuff, but we really don't have any background on him. He's just kind of there. I mean, don't get me wrong. He helps move the plot forward. He he does things by getting her planes and everything else she needs. But beyond that, a lot of people weren't really sure why he was there. But then we got this. And that was such a good thread that was kind of still dangling out there that I think people sort of were like, eh, at this point, we're going to forget about it. We're just going to move on with our lives and whatever. But they grasped it and they gave it a little bit more context because I'm sure if this person was Nick Fury's contact all those years ago too, he's how Natasha knew to contact him. So I just, that was so good. And when he came out of the cabin immediately, I was like, I know you. I know where you're from. And it just was so good. Yeah, I was so excited. It was such a, it was just a great way of doing it without beating you over the head and saying, oh, it's from that movie. But also it totally makes sense in this context. It wasn't forced. He's clearly like a fixer for spies and he was fixing for a spy. So it was perfectly natural. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I also really enjoyed, though, the second one with the face mask. Yes. And the reason I actually enjoyed it more than anything is we've officially been given a name and it's called the Widow's Veil. And I, not gonna lie, pardon me, got a little emotional (laughs) because, well, first, all I thought of was, I'm sorry, did I step on your moment? Uh, iconic. But then I also just was thinking, oh, gosh, because I don't. It didn't have a name. Even when you watch, and look at me, expert over here. Even when you watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it's not the name that they're referring. It, it's it's not the Widow's Veil. And so I just, for Fury to sit there and say, what, the Widow's Veil? And to pretty much be like, I just patented that. That's the name of this. We're going we're gonna to go with that from now on. That's Natasha's favorite toy. And also, you know, knowing that, That was done in memoriam to her. Yes. And to honor her, I loved that. 
thought that was so awesome. Well, because, and I don't think we've ever talked about this, but let's be real. He came back from the blip and she was dead. Like for real dead. Yeah. Not like dusted dead, like dead dead. Well, that's my point. He came back and not only was, you know, the world so different, I'm sure that was a driving factor for him to not want to stay. She was an essentially adopted daughter to him and was his best agent. I mean, to sit there and find out that she sacrificed her life to make sure everybody could come back and come back to wherever they were and live their lives again. I'm sure he was so proud, but I was probably extremely heartbreaking for him in a completely different way. And so I, I mean, we don't talk about that enough because I don't think we've had the moment to make that connection. But I have to say, I thought that was such a, I mean, it did well for her character. It was almost in a memorial kind of way. And I don't know, it was just, it was really well done. And once again, it wasn't in your face. And I knew, I knew he was wearing one too. And that's why I was like, say something, say it. Because I knew he had the mask on. It just, it flowed very nicely. I will say, when he mentioned an updated version, I wanted to understand if we were going to be seeing that anytime soon. Trying to think what property would make the most sense. I don't think we're going to see it in this show. No, no. Because he clearly doesn't have his hands on it. But that means that tech is being created by someone. Yeah, and we don't have Stark. So who's the biggest techie now? I don't know. Unless one day they are trying to bring in some of the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I could get behind Fitz or Simmons being in that conversation. Yeah. But beyond that, I'm not sure. And so he mentioned that and that stuck out to me because that opened a new level of concern, knowing that that tech is out there. We don't have a shield. Not entirely sure who is making the tech, who has the tech. So I'm a little intrigued. It's also a little scary because it essentially would make a human like a scroll. Yeah. The ability to completely morph into another human being. I didn't even make that connection, but I like it. The idea that this, the widow's veil is essentially a technological scroll power, essentially. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Going back to who might have it, I just thought of one place that I want to put out there. It could be sword because essentially they replace shield. I know. Yucky. Katie made a face. For I those a, of you who can't a face. see, which is everyone, <laughs> she made a face. And I was reacting to that face. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't be entirely like put off by that. I don't know. Sword didn't impress me the way S.H.I.E.L.D. did. I don't know who they have sitting behind things, though, so I can't say. They're one of those you just don't know enough about yet. Yeah. So I'm not against that theory. I just don't know. I don't know. I guess is the bigger thing. Or what are they doing up on Saber? That's still to be determined. Yeah, very much so. And I think it could be an interesting way for Fury to almost honor Natasha by updating or having someone update the tech, you know, like keep it going in her honor, improve it in her honor. That could be an interesting kind of like emotional tie to some very, very dangerous technology. Yeah. Well, that checks out for Nick. Yeah. I mean, he even mentioned a helicarrier in this episode. And I was like, Nick, leave it alone. I know. Your helicarriers are not available right now. We all know you prefer to travel by helicarrier, but let's not. Yeah. So that was actually my third reference. So what is your third Easter egg? Oh, the graves. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the end of Winter Soldier, obviously Nick fakes his death. That's sort of the start, actually, of really a lot of this for him. And we see him standing at a grave. They are in the U.S. 
And Cap is there, Nat's there. They're there to say goodbye to him as he goes off on whatever weird side missions Nick Fury does in his free time. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently chasing aliens, according to his wife. And also flying his little helicarrier around. (laughs) (laughs) That's how he prefers to travel with all of his uh, reflective shields, untraceable, flying in style. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't blame him. But so, you know, before he goes off for all that, we see him standing at his grave of that's not obviously really him but it's his faked death grave and at the time you're kind of like okay cool and i think all of us assumed in the trailer that was the grave they were going to be standing at until he was like what are you talking about i have a ton of these everywhere and then to find out they're a secret hiding spot i mean that makes sense that makes so much sense for him well yeah but now i want to know what's hidden in his u.s grave i want to know what's hidden in all of them well yeah but i mean specifically the one we've seen before yeah like what does he have in the u.s that he's hiding nick tell me yeah And that one specifically, I feel would tie in more with Winter Soldier era things. Yeah. Just because of the timing of that. I just have a feeling. But yeah, I he just like offhandedly mentions he just has a bunch of graves in a bunch of different countries. Wait, do you want to know something that I think would be the best thing ever? What? It's like not related to any of the shows, but like Disney. Okay, so you guys know how... Oh my gosh, I know exactly where you're going with this. (laughs) I may be showing our age on this one, but if you go to Disney World... There used to be a Kim Possible game. It's not Kim Possible anymore. I know. I know. You have to go and uncover clues and they updated it to something for the people who are much younger than we are. Well, it was Kim Possible got updated to, I think, like Phineas and Ferb, but it's not that. It's definitely something newer. I don't know. No, it's definitely for today's children and not us old folk. And so I think they should update it again, knowing that there's precedence for changing it and just make it you finding Nick Fury's graves. (laughs) (laughs) And what's inside of them. (laughs) Yeah. Like, isn't it Epcot? And you just have to like find all these clues to be able to like unlock the different things in Nick Fury's gravestones. In different countries. Hey, it's different countries too. So it's 100%. Yeah, that would be perfect. Uh, Whoever runs (laughs) Disney Parks, you can call me. We'll talk about this. Yeah. And uh, we'll set this up. Let's go. Oh my gosh. Wait, that would genuinely be extremely fun. It's almost hidden Mickey's. Yeah. But just Nick Fury's graves. (laughs) It's not even morbid at all. No. For the happiest place on earth. Because he's not even dead. That's the funniest part. That's true. So how can it be morbid if there's no body at any of them? (laughs) Well, this is my pitch, Disney. You know where to find me. Our email's (laughs) on the website, and um, I'll be waiting. We also take DMs. (laughs) That too. But in and of itself, the important thing that came out, beyond these being fun little callbacks, Easter eggs, was The Harvest. And the episode was called The Harvest. I went into it being very confuzzled because I was not sure where we were going to go with an episode called The Harvest. And wow, I wasn't disappointed about what it was, but I definitely, one, have a lot of questions for Nick Fury, and two, have a lot of just overall concerns about the fact that there was a team of Skrulls that went to a battlefield searching for Avengers blood after the Battle of Earth. I think my first thought was, this is another not nice thing that I know about Nick Fury that I was much better not knowing. Yeah. Add this to the list of using the scrolls for all of his promotions. 
and I know there have been a few others, but that's the big one I can think of right now. Not thrilled that he took these Avengers who really superseded him. Some of them gave their lives on that field. They took the team that he made. They expanded it. They made it a global force for safety. And yes, they made mistakes, but their intentions were good. And Nick Fury never, ever asked them to stay together. But they, some of them did. And they cleaned up the battles that we couldn't. Isn't that like the paraphrased thing? That they're going to fight the fights that we are unable to fight? They did that without Nick Fury. And how does Nick Fury repay them? Not only for going on and fighting the fights, but bringing everyone back. Let me just harvest their blood in case I need this in the future. For what, Nick? For what? Honestly, that is one of the questions on my list. But ironically, it's not my main one, which it maybe should be. But my thought process was, first off, I feel like I I don't know. I want to start at a beginning, but there's not a beginning to start at. But there's so many thoughts going through my brain. First, this just gave us a little bit of a timeline post-blip. Yeah. Where Gravik wasn't yet against Fury because he was one of the scrolls who went and got the blood. Right. So there's a level of confusion. There's There's another emotion there that's not discussed because that's not quite it, but there's definitely a weird feeling in my gut knowing that when Nick came back from the blip, and granted he hadn't left yet for Saber, and I understand that was probably a lot of Gravik's reasoning, but just knowing that Gravik was that close to Nick that he trusted him to go do that. That is another layer to their relationship, another notch on a timeline of their relationship. And so that alone definitely. That had me feeling type of way. I'm not going to lie. But then to your point, what is it being used for is definitely a concern. My other main question, though, and I think the one that floats above it all is, is it all in that vial? And if so, then you what are you trying to create with a concoction of every superpowered person's blood? Yeah. Okay. let me let me tackle this because you you hit on two things and I want to talk about them both. I'm going to go back to your first point about the timeline between Gravik and Fury. I think this really answers our question from, I want to say, last episode or maybe episode three, where we were talking about trying to decide whether or not Gravik really started his revolution during the blip in Fury's absence or after. This is, without a doubt, confirms after. After Nick left for Saber and he said, I'm done with Earth, I'm never coming back. That's when Gravik was like, this man... What? I admired him. And not only did he admire him, but he did dirty crap like this for him. Like, to your point, they had to have been close. There had to have been an incredible level of trust between the two of them. And clearly that trust didn't go beyond work things. I think if you're Gravik, or if I'm Gravik, really, and I have admired this man since I was a young boy, and I was brought to him... And he was going to be our savior, right? He was going to find us a new home. And in the meantime, I'm paying my dues with this guy. I respect him. I want to be like him. I want to emulate him. And he trusts me on this level, but he doesn't trust me enough to stay. He doesn't trust me enough to talk about why he's leaving. He just goes and he never comes back and he never keeps his promise. And do I think Gravik is right? No. But do I understand why he's angry? Oh, absolutely. It just, again... One thing I like about this show, but also hate, and then I'll get to your second question, is that it paints things about Nick Fury that I don't like, 
But at the same time, I like that it's going there because it makes him a more complicated protagonist in that he's not Steve Rogers. You know, Steve, up until Civil War, didn't even play in a gray area. He was Mr. Righteous, right? And even in Civil War, you know, he really didn't do anything say, that Civil egregious. War's a arguable. Yeah, you know, depending on what side of the fence you fall. But, you know, up until that point, there wasn't even a question about Steve and his being on the right side of everything. Obviously, we've known Nick Fury to be a little bit more on the playing in the gray area before. But I think this is giving us some really strong, solid, concrete examples of not only being like a little shady and a little bit in the gray area, but kind of just being a crap human in some cases and just being a little bit of a turd. Yeah. And I don't want to cut you off to going to your to answering my second question because I want to make sure we hit that. But I do want to just say what you were just saying. First off, this ties back to the fact that we are finally seeing character development for Nick Fury, which we've never gotten. Yeah. But I think what I actually really enjoy is the fact that if you take any little mosey down any lane of the comics where Nick Fury is involved, he is actually very well known for not pulling his punches. He's very well known for doing the dirty work that no one else wants to do. He'll get the job done, not necessarily all rainbows and butterflies, but he'll get the job done no matter how dirty his hands need to get. And I mean, quite frankly, if any of you have a little knowledge of him from the comics or if you're one of our newsletter recipients and you read about his little brief summary that I did, I mean, he literally ends up the watcher. He's punished by like cosmic beings and ends up essentially being his own version of a watcher. Because of how out of hand he tends to get because he's willing to just, you know, do it. And so I actually kind of enjoy that we're seeing a lot more of that version of Nick. They're really tying him a lot more to his comic origin of just the ability to do what he's got to do. And, you know, maybe it's not nice and maybe it doesn't look pretty to us. And maybe for the past 10 to 13 years of the MCU, we've been painted of with Nick one way and we kind of felt we knew him, but we're, we're being shown we didn't at all. Yeah. And it's like I said, I appreciate that they're not making him something he's not, which is this righteous toe the line man. Yeah. He's doing the right things and he's trying to help people and he has a sense of right or wrong. But for him, the ends will always justify the means. Yeah. And I think we're seeing those examples in this show. And some of them make me feel a little icky. And I don't love that because I like Nick Fury and I like Samuel L. Jackson. And I don't want to feel conflicted about the character. Yeah. But at the same time, that just makes him more human. Because realistically, looking at Steve, Steve is completely unrelatable. I love Steve. Don't get me wrong. Cap girl, 100% have cap pillows cap shields all over my apartment like no hate to steve ever but he's completely unattainable in the sense that he's essentially perfect he's always doing the right thing with the exception maybe of not telling tony that bucky killed his parents steve does the right thing all the time in the right way without you know too much damage and the ends don't justify the means for Steve, you know? And I like that we have a character who's more complicated, more nuanced, more real, more relatable because we all have to, I mean, we're not all making life and death decisions, but we all have to make decisions in a gray area every day of our lives. Not always do we get them right. And I think Nick Fury is like a really good representation of like, yeah, 
maybe I'd do that one again. But honestly, he also doesn't seem like he regrets too much of it. So go Nick for just owning his own choices. Nobody does regret this one. Yeah. And you, you've you been seeing that throughout the whole series. Yet, let's pivot so you can, f- you can kind of answer my second question, which is what would a vial full of all of the powered Avengers blood? Why? Essentially, not what. Why? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I had the same question because I was like, did they combine them all? That's my impression. But then I was like, not only was that not an impression I had, but then I was like, it's literally called the harvest. And what do you usually do with a harvest? You, you know, you pick it, you do whatever, and then you combine it. You have a big gathering of the harvest. So I was like, oh, okay. Here's the thing, though. I am reaching very, very deep back into my 10th grade biology class. And I think you can hold, like, doesn't DNA live within a specific, like, if you're holding someone's DNA, right? You've extracted their DNA in one way or another, and you're looking to store it. Doesn't it get stored in liquid? So I'm almost wondering if, like, the different strands of DNA are all living within like a preservative, like something akin to like a formaldehyde or something. And there are individual strands. They're just all preserved in one bottle. How you would identify whose is whose, not really sure. But that's the only way that I can think that like he didn't just go ahead and make like a super Captain Marvel, Captain America, Ant-Man, although Ant-Man really doesn't have special DNA. That was a bad example. Wanda. But like wanda panther yeah like all of that like hulk i guess my question this is just random and we don't have to answer this now but i'm thinking about it like does the heart-shaped herb actually alter your dna or is it just like a regular man who happens to be enhanced like same with steve is his dna fully altered or like no i would assume it's like through his bloodstream and everything else same with the heart-shaped herb so i would have to assume that's altering your dna i mean i would think so but it just made me wonder for a second yeah but I mean, I'm not a science person, so this has gone above my head. I understood what you were saying, but I have simply no actual thing I can say back to it because I don't know how that works. Either way, whatever Fury's plan with that was, I don't, I'm not even, I mean, guys, we've reached history. Katie's speechless and she doesn't have a theory. (laughs) Because I don't know what he was using that for. I don't know what in his brain said, hey, I know the Avengers wouldn't let me take their blood. So I'm going to go have the scrolls search the battlefield of the Avengers compound where Tony Stark just laid his life down to save this entire... Oh, yeah. To save this entire planet and universe. And I'm going to have them search every little piece for some avenger blood what what and he knows who he like he's aware who he has because he said you know captain marvel's in there he knows which means they've done some level of tests on it because he knows what blood i mean you don't just know what blood is laying around so they know at least whose blood they've collected who is doing these tests are they doing this on saber then if so why was this on earth i just i don't I don't know. I honestly, I'm so concerned. I truly am. I, look, I don't want to go here, but there is a very famous storyline with Peter Parker and clones in the comics. I don't 
want to go to clones, but... I had a feeling. I'm not going to lie. Do I think that, you know, maybe Nick was thinking about it? Yeah. Do I also think maybe it was one of those situations where he was like, let's say Carol Danvers gets mowed down while we need a new Captain Marvel? Like, or, you know, truly, let's think about it. I mean, this is the man who took the Tesseract and tried to weaponize it. Fair. Like, clearly he has a little bit more restraint than he did 15 years ago or... What, what would that have been? Yeah, about 12, 13 years ago, depending on what year we are. Well, to us, but yeah, I don't know how long ago. Well, they're in like, what, 25, maybe? I don't know. There's been I've been seeing people talk about how they could be in 27. All right, let's just say somewhere in the ballpark of 12 to 15 years ago, this man took the Tesseract and said, I'm going to make weapons. So maybe he's a little bit more restrained because he didn't immediately go make weapons out of Avengers DNA. But, I mean, can you imagine a weapon powered by the power of Captain Marvel, powered by Wanda, powered by Thor? I mean, do you realize that this means there is a possibility to make more super soldier serum? The real kind? The pure kind? The purest of the pure? Oh my god, wait, no. (laughs) I'm not doing that again. The most successful super soldier that has ever lived. Because Bucky, I know, but he's not the best he's number two in terms of models is he but the number one model is steve rogers okay we're not gonna get into this debate right now (laughs) i was just gonna say with his modifications technically but i'm saying just pure human super soldier the best version i mean think about when they tried to recreate bucky we saw what happened right well so then bucky's just great but i'm saying his look his process though is flawed Steve's process is pure and perfect. And so if you have that, you could essentially reconstruct Erskine's formula, just like Bruce Banner tried to do, unsuccessfully, obviously. You could do all of it and create a new Captain America who doesn't go off his rocker and kill someone with the shield. I mean, don't get me wrong, we have Sam, so we don't need a new Captain America, but... If the government wanted to create their own again that they could control, because they can't control Sam, he's shown that, he's going to do what he thinks is right, go Sam. But if the government wanted a puppet like they had in John, then they could essentially do that with a little bit of Steve Rogers DNA and a really good scientist. See, my fear is not even super soldiers, though, when there are a lot of more heavily powered beings whose DNA are there. Actually, a theory I have and i kind of would rather see this played out because i think it would put an end to this new thread that just started and end the show would be gravik's greed and need to have this with what's already inside of him i think i could see nick actually giving it to him and he quite literally just combusts essentially because there is too much in him that is far too unstable already let alone with everything else i mean if hulk's blood is in there already that's just its own level on top of extremis i mean there's a lot happening there so actually ideally that's how i see this play out then the harvest is done is gone we don't have to worry about that being a thread dangling somewhere because god if that if this series ends next week and that's an ongoing thread we have to stress about i i i can't you know who i think is gonna end up with it sharon no, who haven't we seen yet, but it's confirmed for to be in the show? Valentina. And who has her own little group starting up? Yeah, but I don't know what use she would directly have for it with her group. No, I'm saying if she wants to add 
to the group. Oh. Like, she wouldn't enhance the individual she's already got, but she could enhance normal individuals. Yeah. Or just use it as a leverage play. I mean, she's the head of the CIA who clearly has some side gigs that the CIA probably doesn't know about. So I just think, you know, she's supposed to be in this show. It's been five episodes, and I don't know about you, but Julia Louis-Dreyfus hasn't appeared on my screen. That's fair. And she kind of has a knack for showing up just at the right moment. That's fair. She could be a good one. I just, my, I would ideally like to see it solved in the show, so I don't have to stress moving forward that someone might just get a mega concoction of all the Avengers DNA, and it work. And the next thing you know, we have God knows what walking around. I'm trying to think if there's anything in the comics that like is that. I am too. But nothing is coming to mind. Yeah. I feel like that would be something that we would know about. I haven't seen it blowing up anywhere. Like obviously you all know we're not like huge comics people, but I've never heard of a villain who essentially has the powers of the Avengers. I mean, the Super Scroll is the closest thing and he's just got the Fantastic Four in the comics. Yeah, so I'm, I don't know. I'm going to walk with my theory for now, but I'm not against, I will look into if there's a comic precedent somewhere about the harvest, because I'd be very intrigued to see if there is something somewhere, even if it's on a really like obscure comic line. It'll be in the blog, folks. Definitely check it out. Yeah. But I want to wrap up with one last thing. And unfortunately, to not make this episode a million years long, we're going to skip over the Vara and Gaia thing a little bit, that battle, but also boss ladies Baddies love them and love Sonya. And that was amazing. They're killing me. Like, they are doing it. I know. The ladies of this show are the best. Yes. But I want to talk about, first off, we got to see Nick suit up and you would be like, oh, well, he kind of just put on like a jacket and eye patch and grabbed a gun. But I'm like, but that was Nick suiting up and that was really exciting. It was so epic. Yeah. But I want to just discuss who you think he called. Oh, he called Gravik. Okay. He was telling Gravik, I'm coming. Okay. That was my initial assumption. Did you think something else? No, I'm not going to lie. I thought that too. I The reason I want to bring it up though is because I've had about 10 hours since I watched this show. <laughs> I've had less than two. <laughs> yeah. To be on Twitter, to be on threads, to be on everything and kind of hear the fandom talk and... We are a fandom, you know, based show. We're going to talk about the theories we're seeing everywhere. And a lot of people think he was calling friends more than he was calling Gravik to say, let's get it over with. And obviously, there are a lot of people who are hoping to see people like Quake show up in this show. I'm one of them who would love to see her. I don't know if I'm going to go to the cloud of thinking it's fully realistic but I would love to see her, especially because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was on the list for this for a reason. And while I do think there were some moments that I could see parallel a little bit into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I don't think I haven't yet felt like it was worth a watch yet for this show, if that makes sense. But I will say if he was calling a friend because it's we have to do the justice of chasing down the theory. If he was calling a friend, I just I would love it to be her. I think the ramifications would cause us to have about a four episode series alone about how Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. could or could not, or if it's now going to be considered canon, how that's going to work. But I just, I don't know. If it's a friend, I feel like it's got to be someone we already have seen in the MCU. I mean, not honestly, like I could see Sam showing up at the end or Captain Marvel, guys, is on Earth 
possibly, depending on when the Marvels takes place, we could have her. And she's been name dropped like a million times in the show. And don't forget, he's been with Monica too. Yeah. She was on Saber in the trailers or in the Marvel's trailers, just to clarify. Well, and honestly, Monica was going to see him at the end of the Marvel's. Or you mean WandaVision? Sorry. Yes. The end of WandaVision. Names and I are not friends. I know. (laughs) It's okay. I just forget them and you just switch them. So we're doing really great over here. But yeah, so honestly, if anything, those would kind of be the main ones, especially Monica to me. She had a connection to Gaia. That could make a lot of sense, personally, if we're going to get somebody from not the cast that we've already seen of the show coming in, making an appearance. I can see that. Yeah. I mean, like I said, my first thought was Gravik, but I'm open to bringing someone in new, someone who we aren't expecting to really shake things up for the last episode kind of maybe bridge us into something that's coming up you know maybe this does lead us into the marvels i don't know i think it does because anybody who has been on the internet today or yesterday or i guess by the time you're listening to this the past three days will have seen that there were new stills from the marvels in which brie larson captain marvel herself is standing in front of a bunch of scrolls so i mean i would be absolutely gagged if there was not a direct connection into it somehow yeah and i'm gonna rescind my statement i don't think this takes place after the marvels i think we're going in order now which hey i'm here for yeah i like a good movies in order or semi within order feels good like that very much yeah agreed so i don't know about you but i just want to say one last thing before we call this an episode, it's quick. I just want to say I think what we're setting up here is for Amelia Clark's Gaia to be the new leader of the Scrolls. I think we're going to see that play out next episode. I'm excited for it. We've talked about it a million times. You don't bring in Amelia Clark for something short, a miniseries. You brought in the firepower. Let's give her a real role. I think she could end up in the Marvels. I'm here for it. Love her. Let's do it. Yeah. So with that note, we're going to call it an end on our coverage of episode five of Secret Invasion. Please stick around with us for the finale of the show next week. We will, of course, be covering Secret Invasion episode six. So if you are looking forward to all of our thoughts on how the show wraps up, please make sure that you're subscribed or following on your podcast platform of choice. Definitely make sure to check out our website with our blog, where, like I said, Katie's going to have some good research on that potential all-up harvest villain. We're going to see if yay or nay that has some comic precedence and some other good tidbits will be in there, I'm sure, as well. You can also support the show on our homepage by purchasing any of the links on our Amazon affiliates. We would super, super appreciate it and it helps us make the show better for you. Give us a follow on Twitter at Pod and Instagram slash threads slash both of them at Sisters Assembled. Keep up with us there. Make sure you guys are knowing when new episodes drop, new blog posts come out, some fun content from us as hosts. Just be there. And as Taylor said, we'll be doing this all over again next week for episode six and the finale of Secret Invasion. In the meantime, make sure you guys are not only watching the show, but you're listening to all our content related to it because Marvel just blew your mind. So let's talk about it.